from Earth. It's Space Radio. This is Paul Sutter. And coming up, we're talking, look out, there's a black hole coming right for ah! And of course, taking listener questions about all things in this amazing universe, because that's what this show is about. We record every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, and you can follow along online or leave a voicemail by going to spaceradioshow.com. And in today's Blue Shift, I'll be talking about seeing in the dark. But first, the news. Hey, space cadets, welcome to Space Radio. I'm Paul Sutter, astrophysicist at Stony Brook University and the Flatiron Institute. And for the next half hour, your agent of the stars. We've got an exciting show for you today on Space Radio, where we talk about all the amazing, cool, beautiful, and wonderful things in this universe. This show lives on listener questions. We record every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern here in Spaceman Studios in New York City. So leave a voicemail at spaceradioshow.com or join the Space Cadets tuning in live from around the world on YouTube and Twitch, including but not limited to Howell, New Jersey, Denham Springs, Louisiana. I don't know what that word is, so I'm just going to hit People's Republic of Austin, Dumas or Dumas, Mississippi. You can tell me how to pronounce that properly. London, UK, Marysville, Washington, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Ashburn, New Zealand, Christchurch, New Zealand. Do you guys know each other? Pell City, Alabama, and Kempner, Texas. That's right. You can join those live streams. Get those questions in. I will answer whatever the chat throws at me okay not entirely whatever it's going to be filtered i'm going to pick the questions that are most interesting for the show but largely largely i'm going to answer whatever you guys toss at me get those questions in Before I start taking questions, I wanted to share some interesting bits of news I caught recently, and everyone is all agog over this new black hole that some astronomers have found, uh, the astronomers with the European Southern Observatory, by the way, found a black hole that is about four times the mass of the sun. So as black holes go, it's kind of on the small side, but we're not going to judge it. It's still a black hole. But what is making everyone excited is that previously, previously to this, the nearest known black hole to the Earth was about 3,000 light years away. This new black hole in the star system HR6819, sorry, I don't have a better name for it, that's its name, HR6819, in this star, which by the way, is visible to the naked eye, And in the Southern Hemisphere, in the constellation Telescopium, wow, there's, I could go on a whole rant about Southern Hemisphere constellations versus Northern Hemisphere constellations, but that's a different show. Feel free to ask if you want. Yeah, it's a thousand light years away. A thousand light years away. So you can look in the night sky, you can see a star, and around that star is a black hole four times the mass of the sun. It is three times closer than the previous record holder. And this is very interesting for a couple of reasons. One is the method the astronomers use to find the black hole. Normally, we find black holes when they are pulling material onto them, when they're swallowing material. We don't see the black hole itself, but we see all the material lighting up as it's falling into the black hole, like a little beacon. We say, ah, there's a black hole there. 
But this black hole is quiet. It's not feeding. There isn't material falling onto it. But instead, it is orbiting around a pair of stars and it's causing little tweaks and little variations in the orbits and the movements of those two stars. And so when we study this system in detail, we see these two stars orbiting. We can obviously tell there's something else there because the orbits are acting funny but we can't see that companion. And then we can, based on the funniness of the orbits, we can figure out what the mass of that companion is. And we realize it's four times the mass of the sun. If you're invisible and you're four times the mass of the sun, guess what? You are a black hole. So that's how we were able to find the black hole. So this is a technique that we'll be using much more in the future to figure out the existence of black holes. And also the fact that it's close is very interesting. We fundamentally don't know how many black holes are in the Milky Way galaxy. Our estimates range anywhere from on the low end of 10 million to the high end of a billion. A little bit of a spread there. We're a little bit uncertain about the number of black holes in the Milky Way galaxy. The more we find closer black holes to us, or the closer we find black holes to us, the more black holes there are going to be in the galaxy because there shouldn't be anything special about our neighborhood in particular. And so if there is a black hole a thousand light years away, then we can guess, okay, black holes are spaced about a thousand light years apart on average, and you can do some numbers. If we end up seeing a closer black hole, 500 light years, 10 light years, not 10 light years, that'd be a little bit scary. Uh, let's go back to 500 light years. Then you know, oh, then there's way more black holes than we thought because there's nothing special about this kind of neighborhood. And so black holes should be a little bit more populous than we thought. So this means with a record holder going from 3,000 light years to 1,000 light years, it means that the lower limit for the number of black holes in our universe has just gone up. Whew, that was fun. That was fun. That was the news. That's all about black holes. I know you got some questions. I've got some voicemails. Once again, I'm so nervous. I didn't screen my voicemails again. I see some, I see some callers that I recognize, like Campbell Duncan, Pia Valentin. Got your questions here. Loaded up. I see it. I don't know what you asked. So I think I'll do, I think I'll do some space connect questions first. I'll mix it up a bit. So let's see what we got. We got Paul Gilligan, Space Cadet on YouTube, asking about black holes and saying, you know, there are these properties of black holes, uh, mass, charge, and spin. And he's saying, hey, isn't that much different than an electron? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is something absolutely mind-blowing about the universe. If you want to describe a black hole, straight up, if you wanted to describe a black hole, you need three numbers. You need to know how big it is, its mass. You need to know how fast it's spinning. And you need to know its electric charge. With those three numbers, you could characterize any black hole in the universe. It doesn't matter how they formed. It doesn't matter when they formed. It doesn't matter what stuff has fallen into them in the past. All that matters is those three numbers. So all the information about what formed a black hole gets eaten and just becomes 
locked inside of the black hole and we just have these three numbers to describe it. So you look at a black hole and you're like, I want to completely describe that black hole. Well, once you measure its mass, its spin and its charge, boom, you're done. You have completely described the black hole. There is nothing more to learn about that black hole. Is there anything in the universe that's similar to this? Yes, there is. Fundamental particles like electrons or neutrinos or top quarks are described by a very limited set of numbers like, say, mass and spin and charge. There's a few other numbers too, but it's very interesting that two completely unrelated objects in our universe fundamental subatomic microscopic particles and big giant black holes are both so easy and simple and straightforward to describe. Is it a coincidence? Is it a conspiracy? We don't know, but it's very, very interesting, don't you think? Another question, Neil, you on YouTube is again talking about fundamental particles and talking about the six quarks that make up all kinds of matter and uh but some matter is only made of three quarks and why wouldn't it be dark matter yeah so in case you didn't know the matter that you're made up of right now if you could zoom into your cells and then to your dna and then to your molecules and then into the atoms and then to the nuclei of the atoms you would find a bunch of protons and neutrons those protons and neutrons are each made up of three kinds of particles known as quarks. And specifically, a proton is two up quarks and one down quark, and a neutron is two down quarks and an up quark. There are four other kinds of quarks out there. There is the top and bottom quark and the strange and charm quark. So there's a sextuplet of quarks, the two most common ones are the up and down quark, and those make up just about everything in the universe. Neil is asking, can there be other combinations of quarks that also give us weird things of matter, like, say, the dark matter, which we don't know what the dark matter is made of? Very good question, Neil. As far as we can tell, and I think I talked about this last time, as far as we can tell, Dark matter is not made of the same stuff as us. In other words, there just aren't enough quarks in the universe to build as much dark matter as we're actually seeing. Dark matter is exotic. Dark matter is unfamiliar. It is unknown to the standard model of particle physics. Dark matter, as far as we can tell, is not made of quarks. Combining these two past questions, I love it. Juan Manuel Bautista over on YouTube is asking, is dark matter immune to black holes? Like, we've got our black holes, these collapsed remnants of dead stars, these places of infinite gravity, and we've got dark matter, this mysterious substance that doesn't interact with light but makes up most of the stuff in the universe. Do they talk to each other? Do they hang out? I mean, they both have really cool names. They both are not exactly fans of light. So do they have a club or something that we're not allowed in? Uh, dark matter does fall into black holes. Yeah, if a dark matter particle, whatever it is, crosses the event horizon of a black hole, it is lost to the outside universe forever. That black hole increases its mass by whatever the mass of the dark matter particle was. 
it's possible, theoretically possible, we don't know how feasible this is, it's even theoretically possible to create black holes out of dark matter. If you can take a bunch of dark matter and squeeze it down into a really tiny volume, which by the way, dark matter hates to do, if you can reach a critical density, you can pop out a, a black hole that's made of dark matter. Black holes are indiscriminate. They are just gravity. That's all they do. They just suck all the time. They don't care what falls into them. They don't care about their environment. They don't even care what they're made of. They are just black holes. They will eat anything. They're like a teenager, okay? I'm Paul Sutter. We got to take a break, folks. This is Space Radio. This show is brought to you by you. Please go to patreon.com slash Sutter. I know times are tough, so don't sweat it if you can't do it. No hard feelings. I'm going to keep doing this show anyway. Greg's going to keep doing this show because he has no choice. And we're just going to keep producing this, whether you contribute or not. I know times might be tough for you. Uh, my heart goes out to you. I wish I could support you more. At least I hope I can entertain and educate you for a little bit. If you do have something to contribute, I would really appreciate it. We would all appreciate it. That's patreon.com slash P-M-S-U-T-T-E-R. And I'll see you after the break. This week on The Bioneers. I think all Americans should want and most do want to see the Constitution really embody the human rights basic principles that we all believe in. And the first one is equality. Human rights lawyer Jessica Neuwirth says the current discussion about gender inequality opens the door to finally passing an Equal Rights Amendment on Bioneers Radio. You can hear Bioneers Saturday at 2.30 on WCBE. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Paul Sutter, and this is Space Radio. We've got, we've got more questions ready to go, but remember, you can join the conversation by leaving an online voicemail or by following the live streams with the Space Cadets. Go to spaceradioshow.com. Speaking of voicemails, Greg, I know you've got one ready for me that I've not heard before. I'm feeling a little risky-frisky. Let's do it, Greg. Hit the button. Hey Paul, how's it going? Campbell from Ashburton, New Zealand here. I've got a question about cosmic voids. So, with there being more dark energy in the cosmic void, are they stretching out so the distances across the cosmic voids are getting bigger than the distance around them? It's really hard for me to get my head around. I'm just wondering if it's just something that happens in the math but is really hard to understand. Is it, or is it possible to explain it and understand it? It seems to me that if you wanted to travel to the other side of a cosmic void, you'd be better off to travel around it rather than try and travel through it. Um, yeah, if you could explain it to me, that would be awesome. Thank you. Or us, I should say. Cool. Thanks. Gotcha. All right, man. That was a great pick, Greg. If you're just listening on the radio, you did not see me celebrating because the topic of cosmic voids is one of my favorite topics of all time. I spent several years researching cosmic voids personally, and I love talking about nothing. And so this is absolutely perfect. What Campbell is talking about are the regions in our universe that are mostly, almost entirely empty. And these aren't just little spaces, these are big spaces. When you look out at the very largest scales in our universe, galaxies are 
scattered around in a pattern. There's a structure to it. We call it the large-scale structure of the universe. This is also known as the cosmic web because it looks like a giant spider web. But instead of silk, you're looking at galaxies, like lines, trains of galaxies forming long, thin threads and big clumps of galaxies called the clusters. And then between all of that is nothing. It's the empty spaces. These are the voids. And uh, Campbell's asking about what it's like the expansion of the universe, the expansion of voids, the expansion of material around the voids, like what's all going on. So check this out. We know our universe is expanding. It's getting bigger and bigger every day. On average, galaxies are flying away from each other. We also know that this expansion is accelerating. This is something we call dark energy. The expansion of the universe is getting faster and faster every single day. We don't see this effect of dark energy inside of a galaxy because the gravitational pull of the stuff inside the galaxy is enough to overwhelm the effects of dark energy. And so it's not like our galaxy is ripping itself apart because that gravitational pull is strong enough to overwhelm that dark energy. But inside of a void... That's not the case. There's not enough stuff inside of a cosmic void to overwhelm dark energy. And so dark energy is operating full throttle in our universe. In fact, that's the only place in our universe where the expansion is really dominating, where the acceleration is really dominating, where dark energy is really going full throttle. As soon as you have a bunch of matter, then it cancels out more than cancels out this effect of dark energy. So it's really the accelerated expansion of the voids themselves that are driving the accelerated expansion of the universe as a whole. It's happening in the voids. Uh, an image I like to have in my head is a bunch of soap bubbles. And if you're looking at, like, say, a bathtub full of soap bubbles, if each individual bubble is getting bigger, if each individual void is getting bigger, then the whole bathtub full of foam is going to get bigger and bigger because each individual pocket is getting bigger. Similarly, that's what's happening with our universe. Dark energy is driving this accelerated expansion inside the voids. And that's causing the whole entire universe's expansion to accelerate. So it is true. If you were to enter a void, you would have a very long journey because that void is getting bigger as you travel through it. However, if you were to try to go around it, the walls of the voids, the boundaries of the voids are also getting bigger. They're also get, they're getting stretched out. Uh, the walls and filaments are getting thinner and thinner and thinner. And sometimes those walls break and voids merge together. But as long as they're intact, if you're trying to go the long way around and trying to travel around that perimeter, it's like traveling around the perimeter of a soap bubble that is expanding. Either way, it's tough to get to the other side because of that accelerated expansion. Amazing question, Campbell. You know, you know how to pull on my voidy heartstrings. I love it. We got more questions from the space cadets. So many cool questions. Where should I go? Where should I go? Visto over on YouTube is asking, could a black hole be any closer 
and we not know it? Absolutely. There are some limits because a nearby black hole would have blocked some starlight from distant stars. We would have noticed that by now. But there could be a black hole within, say, 500 light years, and we simply don't know about it, especially if it's relatively small in orbiting another star. Unfortunately, we're almost out of time today on Space Radio, but before we go, it's time for the Blue Shift. I'm Paul Sutter, and you're listening to Space Radio, and this is the Blue Shift, my opportunity to get a little bit closer to you. And I want to talk about how we know black holes are there. We don't really have a picture of a black hole. Yes, I know like a year ago, there was the big announcement of a picture of a black hole, but you didn't actually see the black hole. Black holes are just black. They don't emit light. It's impossible to take a picture of something that doesn't emit light because that's kind of how pictures work. What we have though is evidence for their existence. From, like we saw today, their gravitational nudging on a partner, on another star, something that we could figure out. Sometimes material can fall into a black hole. And as that material is falling in, it compresses and heats up and glows. And we can see that glow from the infalling material. Sometimes black holes can merge and we see the gravitational waves from that merger. Sometimes black holes can get in our way, can block our view to a distant star. And so we can see a strange twinkling of light from that distant star. That's called microlensing, by the way. We have all these techniques and sometimes we take pictures of the material of the accretion disk around a black hole. Sometimes we look for stars orbiting a black hole, like in the center of our own Milky Way. We can watch as stars literally orbit a massive unseen object. All these lines of evidence came from decades of work, of seeing something that is really impossible to see, of gaining evidence, of building a case through multiple lines for the existence of something that you can't just take a picture of and put a poster up and and show your friends. You can never ever get a picture of black holes because they're not emitting light, but they can still affect their surroundings. They can still bend the path of light around them. They can still pull gravitationally on other objects. And so it's through that process of careful inference that we're able to deduce the existence of black holes, even though we've never been able to directly see them. What's my point here? That's cool. And that's science. That's how science works. The vast majority of science doesn't rely on direct observation. It relies on inference, on drawing conclusions, of using statistics, of looking at something and saying, I think there's more than what meets the eye. And unfortunately, this broadcast is almost done. Thank you for joining me on this voyage of space radio. Once again, I'm Paul Sutter, and this show is brought to you by you. Please go to patreon.com slash PM Sutter to learn how you can contribute. Thanks to Greg Mobius for producing, Nancy Graziano for wrangling the space cadets, and all the fine crew at WCBE Radio 90.5 FM in Columbus for making this show possible. Catch the live stream every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Visit Space Radio 
thebeerradioshow.com for all the info and links. And you can follow me directly on all social media channels. My name is at Paul Matt Sutter. And of course, thanks again, Space Cadets, for listening. See you next week. And remember, science is for sharing. And transmission. Thank <laughs> you.